Hello there and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm Neil Shalat and I'm delighted to welcome back Varun Vasudevan. How are you Varun? Woo! <laughs> I'm late. very quick return uh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm in short break. Um yeah, I mean I'm good, a little tired but uh, pretty happy. I mean for those who don't know, I just had a kid and that was the reason i couldn't be on the last episode which uh, was on marino and roman you guys did a good job of that but yeah i'm back now and hopefully should be for a while so all's going well yeah, i'm but sorry have you a slandering session for yeah, have you, yeah have you come back yeah, to the podcast i mean <laughs> i would have loved to be on that episode honestly varun <laughs> um, have you come back to the podcast uh like due to because it's a podcast you need to do it or have you come back to the podcast because you want an excuse to get away from the hassle of a child <laughs> um a bit of both i mean this is a welcome <laughs> break uh but yeah i mean i also are we suddenly going to be going to two episodes a week no 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 it, we'll just keep the same <laughs> same <break. laughs> uh, okay well speaking of breaks also, that was Alex Barker, by the way. Hello, Alex. Hello. Uh, I forgot to introduce you, but there you are. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, speaking of breaks, uh, our episode today is focused on sort of a person who is deciding to take a break, which is Jürgen Klopp. Uh, he announced on Thursday or Friday or someday in the week uh, that he would leave Liverpool at the end of the season um, to take a break, basically. Uh, so, our overall plan for today is basically to look back at his tenure so far assess where he leaves the club uh and how they should proceed because there's a fair few things they need to do actually but also um we record this on a sunday and yesterday which is saturday uh xavi announced that he would leave barcelona at the end of the season as well um after they lost 5-3 against Villarreal, although that i don't think had anything to do with it it was pre-decided um so obviously that means the club will join Barcelona and Xavi will join Liverpool. Uh, so we could have cancelled the episode. But instead, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you guys on the spot. And before we dive into our Liverpool stuff, you have to name who Barcelona should get to replace Xavi. And just a name, nothing more. Alex, I know your answer. Go. Uh, even our Alcusil. Varun? Mitchell from Girona. Damn it, he stole my name. Uh, uh, what are you okay. saying, Thomas Frank earlier? <laughs> Let's not go there. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. Okay, yeah. Um, okay, my name has been stolen. I'm going to say... Hmm. I forgot who I was going to say. I'm going to say, you know what? This is not happening. I'm going to say Sebastian Hoeneß. Moving on. Um, <laughs> there's no way that's gonna happen yeah. i think uh, pimienta is the other name in the but ring. he he yeah. left on not very good terms. yeah yeah, so I don't, yeah. Don't, don't entertain leo with these weird gestures <laughs> you, wait, you wait till we get to the end of this one <laughs> i mean i mean there are people who want Mourinho, so i mean there's much uh, better than that <laughs> uh, anyway we will dive into a more in-depth discussion about managerial succession obviously for our Liverpool stuff but first let's start with a look back at uh, Jürgen Klopp's tenure. Um, Varun has very kindly added a section to our document of his own accord called tribute to Klopp. So Varun before you get into that I want to ask who was the last Manchester United manager you were moved to pay tribute to? Yeah I mean 
<laughs> probably sir alex <laughs> i mean we haven't had that and and i said this to someone just yesterday i was like i wish we had what klopp has had in the last 9 years what liverpool have had in the last 9 years i mean the last time we had that feeling was with sir alex so in that sense you really have to look at his tenure as i mean as as you know really amazing i i put this up uh, a while ago on twitter on what the job of a manager is and a lot of people answered i like some answers and then i gave my answer as having a strong philosophy or vision which gets the buy in of everyone staff supporters board and that is mainly it i mean the coaches do the coaching the players do the execution the board takes care of so many things you have everything now you have head of academy operation ceo ceo uh, director of football everything is kind of taken care of and all of those functions revolve around the manager having a vision and him uniting them all and the fans getting excited by that product and i think if you define it that way klopp's just done an amazing job liverpool were all over the place uh, 10 years ago they were really confused from board level to the recruitment to the squad to the playing style and to the disconnect with the fans and jurgen klopp came and fixed a lot of that and like when he announced him leaving everyone was like depressed i mean all the liverpool fans were and i think most premier league or most you know any any football fan would feel a bit because he's come in and built a real family there so i think i mean that was my main tribute to club i mean obviously we can we will discuss his systems and his tactical brilliance and how he's been competing with city and he's kind of been unlucky to have had the few trophies he's had considering how well they have been playing and i'm sure that's one part of it obviously the tactics he brings to the table but i think a really really big part of it is the humanity the heart he brings uh, to a club when he joins i mean it was the same at dortmund and it was the same at liverpool and you just feel th- those are the kind of clubs you know if you get things right and the fans are, are on your side and the way he plays as well it's so 100% energy passion filled even the tactics it all just starts flowing and you have a lot of fun and i think that at least most liverpool fans would say they they've had a lot of fun in the last 9 years so yeah i mean that was just what i wanted to start the episode with yeah absolutely you know, 100% agreed um and yeah, i think it's also worth saying at least for me because yeah, as you say like i had a, a lot of respect and appreciation for klopp already but even this decision that he's made has just increased my respect for him because i mean essentially as he said like he said that in his uh, interview basically where he announced that he was leaving the longer one where i mean h- how can a manager leave right like you either run your contract out which may or may not go well uh you get sacked obviously which is bad or you you know leave on a high which is what he's done and not just that but also of course at the same time the fact that he's sort of acknowledging the fact that basically he's running out of energy he's done this for what almost two and a half decades now so i mean you can completely understand that um so yeah, you know massive respect to him as well for making this decision which definitely would not have been easy um but uh, as yeah, i mean says, he literally said that he wouldn't get sacked like i think one of the lines he yeah. said was they are not going to do this so i have to make this decision i mean to be in such a position how, how many managers have been in such a position i think sir alex ferguson was uh, very few even arsen wenger towards the end 
was kind of forced to leave. I think he was sacked or it was by mutual consent. Very few managers get to a, a point in a club where people love him so much, the manager so much, that they are not going to sack him. And if he has to quit, it has to be on his own accord for family reasons or for health reasons or whatever, just for a break, like it is in this case. That is a really, really nice position to be in and it's very rare in football today. Absolutely. And and even with Wenger, right? Like, as you say, he, he left at a time when the club wasn't doing so well. Klopp announces this when they're, you know, top of the league. So, yeah, uh, incredibly, incredibly rare. Um, but uh, that obviously throws things uh, into a very interesting situation for Liverpool as to how they proceed. Um, so, I, I guess, yeah, as you said, first thing we ought to do is just paint a quick picture of his almost nine years in charge now. Obviously, he took over um, when they were having a really bad time under Brendan Rodgers. I think he took over mid-season uh, in, what was it, 2015-16. Um, they finished eighth. Uh, uh, couldn't get much done there, obviously. But then he quickly you know, steered the sh- ship and p- brought them back on an upwards trajectory. Uh, and since then, they have finished in the Champions League, uh, or rather in the top four, uh, on in every season except the last one, 22-23. Um, and yeah, essentially what he's basically done is he's taken what was a Europa, uh, yeah, Europa League level club into you know Champions League winners, Premier League winners, and just one of the best sides in the world. So quite simply, he's done an absolutely fantastic job. Um, but I, I, I guess when we look back at his um, at at these seasons, I think the the turning point definitely was the sale of Cucino to Barcelona, and the I mean the 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 money that that brought, which in turn allowed um, Liverpool to make these signings like Virgil Van Dijk um, and Allison. Because yeah, I mean obviously when Cucino was there, they were Again, a very exciting attack with the the, the Fab. The, did they call it the Fab Four? I think. Um, so uh, already, Klopp had you know gotten things going, but with these signings, um, he was able to take it to the next level. So to me, that's that's really where this you know this project sort of cemented uh, on its way to success. But. Yeah, I wonder what you guys think. I think I think they got a really good deal with the Coutinho. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was never a big fan of Coutinho, and uh, obviously he he was a really good ball striker and he could conjure up magic on his day, and he did score a lot of goals the season before, but then he never felt like a Klopp player, if you know what I mean. I mean, later on when we saw the Mane Firmino Salah front three. And we saw the eights and how hardworking they were, right? I have no idea how Coutinho would have fit into that. And it just feels like crazy that they got, what, 160 million, was it? 150 million? I don't have 135 no mil. Oh, okay. Not, not that crazy. But okay, still pretty crazy. And they were able to reinvest that in the signings that you said. And then he was actually able to build a team in his image. And I think like all rebuilds, it takes time. If you see the first 11 that he got when he played, the Brendan Rodgers uh, 11 that he got, and eventually the team that we associate as the peak, you know, club team, the one that was in the Champions League final and the one that beat City in the Premier League, all, most of the 11 starters are different. 
everyone's different the goalkeepers the center backs um the the full backs trent came from the academy robertson was spot uh, fabinho um henderson wijnaldum mane salah firmino like everyone is different no one no one continued so like all rebuilds it takes that two to end half years to get like 12 13 14 signings and then have a whole core of your own and club needed that and i think the coutinho money accelerated the process they could get it done in two years and get it done with high quality players first instead of doing a step by step thing like a okay player then the next time a better player like probably how arteta is doing right now it's taking a bit longer for him because there are multiple steps in the process but i think club got that jump you know maybe saved a year on the grand plan the master plan with the coutinho sale and the acquisition of alisson and van dijk i think the recruitment actually goes back a year before coutinho it's between 2016 and 20 well 2016 17 2017 and 18 and it was just on transmart looking at the departures across those two years. so departures across those two years are ben teke for 30 mil jordan ibe for 18 mil joe allen for 15 mil martin skirtle for 6 million Uh, that's 2016. Then Coutinho, who we've covered, Sacco for 30 mil, uh, Origi out on loan for six mil, uh, Lucas Leiva for five million. And in that, in those two windows, the players they spent money on, not freeze, are Van Dijk, Salah, uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Andrew Robertson, Sadio Mane, Jorginho Wijnaldum, Loris Karius, and Ragnar Klavan. I think Ragnar Klavan is genuinely the only miss there. Across all of that recruitment, it's incredible. Did you read Loris Karius and then say Klavan was the only mistake? Yeah, I think okay, like Karius. Obviously, we all know what happened in the Champions League final, but like you know, don't need to rewrite history. He was a, actually, to be fair, Liverpool fans might say who it was, but I'm, I'm, under, I'm of the understanding he was solid bar that Champions League final, and it was more that Allison was just a very big upgrade. Yeah, that yeah, that's my point mainly. Yeah, yeah, fair though. But uh, yeah, so I think obviously, as you guys highlighted there, um, good recruitment, which we will touch on to because that was an important part of uh, what made. Just just to add one point, I mean, I also do think um, all of us, including this, was great recruitment. There's also a bit of post mortem analysis because they turned out to be that great, but when they were being signed, for example. Salah was okay. He was decent at Roma, but no one ever thought he'd become this player. Allison again the same. Everyone said he has potential. Firmino, um, he had potential. Mane from Southampton, Van Dijk from Southampton, Robertson from Hull, which was like in the uh, division below. So it's not like they were established players or even established wonder kids on the rise. No one was saying these are in the top five wonder kids in Europe, you know, or no one was saying these are in the top ten players in their position in Europe. So I do think we need to add that one line that it wasn't so obvious when it was happening. Yes, maybe a year later, the moment they played ten games, it started becoming obvious. Okay, this is this is a winner. But yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't that obvious that this is. Wow! This is a wow recruitment. This is a treble aiming. You know, these are treble aiming players, which is what happened within a year. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as you say, of course. Now we can only look at it in in hindsight. Um, and definitely at the time there was a lot of discussion, maybe even some ridicule about the amount of money they were spending at like Van Dijk, let's say. Um, but yeah, as 
I mean, obviously, in hindsight, they look sensational signings. And given the fact that basically all of them have turned out to be very, very good signings and have worked very well, I think it is safe to conclude that they knew what they were doing, basically. Um, and, you know, they they were working with a plan. And again, we'll get onto it in more detail later, but their recruitment then versus now is quite different. Uh, and and we're seeing some of the effects of that, but it, I think in a sense what we can say is that club was backed by a good recruitment structure. It would seem, um, and I think that is an important part of what made them successful and what made him successful. Uh, but yeah, I think let's before we discuss that, um, let's also just quick uh, take a quick look at what Klopp is all about and his overall tactical identity. He's he's maybe a little bit tougher uh, to exactly nail down than many other sort of elite managers. Like, you know, Guardiola is very easy. Um, but obviously Klopp has some defining factors like his pressing and counter-pressing. Mainly his counter-pressing, actually. He's a bit more flexible with his pressing too. Uh, and yeah, like in terms of, you know, playing style as far as, as you said earlier, like intensity and sort of uh, passion and all that goes, he's always 100%. But how that's implemented between, you know, more direct football, more possession-based football, he's quite flexible um, in, in in terms of his, I mean, basically playing to the strengths of his squad. And we've seen that especially this season when he doesn't have the most ideal of squads. I think to me, that is his greatest strength. The fact that he isn't very rigid in the way he wants to play and that he can adapt um, to the players he has. But yeah, Varun. I think you have your hand up. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. And when I saw him at Dortmund, it was very clear. Like the gegenpressing, the transitional, it was very end-to-end. And they obviously did really well. And then the injuries caught up and they struggled as well. And I think in the first six months or even for one and a half years, he kind of, this was my uh, impression, correct me if you guys think differently, but he kind of came and started doing the same thing and I don't think it was working as well. The Premier League doesn't have that much space. It's a lot more dangerous to be end-to-end and he had to get in a measure of control and I think by the time, <coughs> sorry, by the time those peak, that peak, Klopp team, you know, the one that won the Premier League and Champions League. By the time that came around, he got in a measure of control in build-up especially. They were a bit more patient, especially in deeper phases. But yes, as they would go into the middle and final third, they would start becoming direct and very cross-heavy and very direct to the front three heavy. But I think he started getting a little bit of control in deeper areas. There were There was almost a phase in between when City and Liverpool were playing each other when they both looked very similar. Because Pep who was coming from a place of lot of control and lot of short passes was starting to go a little direct and didn't mind the ball over the top or the ball direct to the winger and Klopp didn't mind controlling a bit uh, in deeper areas so they almost started to look pretty similar so I do think the first big changes that he got to get in some element of control especially in possession they really helped the team go to the next level. And I'm not sure if he just kept doing the Dortmund end-to-end thing, he would have had success. So I think credit goes there for him to um, understand the tactical differences between the two leagues and also where the modern game was going. You know, just pressing 
um it worked really well when gegen pressing came in in the early 2010s and it was a revelation but then team started um figuring their way around it you know and it, it it was as much something that could hurt you as it could hurt the opponent as well if you kept playing end to end so credit to him to figure that out yep absolutely and i guess it, it's it's worth also just mentioning now that of course you know last season was probably his worst uh certainly after he got all those signings and everything um and of course they missed out on champions league uh and so they did need a bit of obviously part of it was their you know players leaving and all that but they also did need a bit of a tactical sort of not exactly a re- reinvention but a bit of a renovation and that's really where i saw uh, or that's really where his sort of adaptability and flexibility became most clear um because across the last two seasons he his initial sort of reaction to um this the the their i mean poor performances was to go to an uh, maybe an even more uh, possession and control based approach um but then even that didn't work and then especially this uh, this summer after losing the likes of mane and firmino uh he 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 decided to go the other way to a, to an even more direct approach than you know the 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 18 19 sides um and that has worked uh quite well uh, so i think he deserves a lot of credit because if if you look at the squad he has right now i mean obviously we know the the, the big glaring issue is you know they don't have a recognized defensive midfielder except wataru endo who isn't exactly the best one for like a extremely high level possession based style and then there's young stefan bajetic but that's basically it but the way liverpool are playing right now they have been able to sort of mask that um through using Alex- alexis mcallister um and then obviously the the way their attack is the, the the sort of profiles they have up front are again more suited to a direct style of play uh especially darwin nunez so he's he's, he's done really well to play to that but alex uh, what, what do you think about that uh, i think it's to his credit but also i think it's going to be to Well, it could be to Liverpool's detriment because you say I think a lot of this adaptability and flexibility has come from Klopp. I think there's a concern if you look at this. Like they're mostly starting eleven this season is Trent, Canate, Van Dijk, Robertson, uh, Zaboslai, McAllister, as you said, as a defensive midfielder, and Curtis Jones, and then Salah, Darwin, Nunes, Luis Diaz. In particular, that attack trades around a lot. As yet, it's got is a more direct style of football. I don't think there's any manager in the world who'd be able to play it as well and manage it as well uh, as Jurgen Klopp. So I think if you're going to try and maintain this style of football, then it's only going to be downhill to an extent. And then that's where the problems arise because when we get into talking about managers who can come in, then they they're likely going to steer more towards control and a little more Guardiola-esque, skill and more Arteta-esque trying to control games through possession. At which point you might see players start to struggle. I wonder how Darwin Nunes adapts to a, a less chaotic environment, for example. So I think the, the you know Barcelona if we're compared to Barcelona, right? Barcelona are quite easy to transition, I think, because you know they're always going to want to play a four-three-three. They're always going to want to play the same way. So you only need to find a manager who can, who's been very good at controlling games through possession, and sure, could just bring something else to break down teams in a way Chavi teams couldn't. With Liverpool, 
I think you're going down a dead end if you're going to try and bring in a manager like Klopp. But if you try and bring in a different manager to put something else on the squad, then quite a few of these players are going to have to change the way they play. And maybe not all of them will survive. So I think that's going to be a very interesting thread to follow. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with Alex. And I would actually go a step further and say, and this might be a hot take, but this kind of could be a very false high this season. I mean, the way Klopp is papering over the cracks and getting this team to deliver. And City have just been a little off steam. No one else has emerged as a contender. United has been bad. Spurs have been bad. Chelsea have been bad. Uh, And Liverpool just find themselves in a title challenge. And now with this announcement, I think the second half of the season also will be positive. You know, it's just the kind of tactic, the kind of philosophy that is buoyed more by the energy, the passion. People will fill out Anfield and they will ensure it's a decent season. And I just think... (laughs) What will go under the radar is that there's a lot of papering over the cracks going on and this is not going to be as easy. Like a title challenge next year, as Alex said, regardless of who comes in, is going to be near impossible. So I think this is a false high. What happened last year is probably a little closer to where the issue is. Probably that's a little worse. But yeah, this is not a title challenging squad at all. And I think Klopp is just managing really well right now. If anything, the more we've spoken about it, this feels very 2013 Ferguson. Like, final season, everyone knows it's the final season, and he's papering over yeah. the cracks. It's buoyed by the energy. And once he leaves, they hire David Moyes, who, I mean, again, I, I was, what, 11, 12 years old at the time, so I don't really know what... I, I, I'm, I'm speaking mainly on vibes here from what I've read in books. but. It seems like bringing boys in, I know it's Ferguson choice, was like the attempt to kind of follow the style of play that Ferguson did, but obviously to as not a, not as good a standard, and then everything fell apart. I feel like Liverpool are quite in danger of following a similar pattern. And like while that might sound a bit crazy, like it's not like United finished tenth, obviously you guys finished like fifth, I think, first season, then you you've bounced in and around the top four, out of the top four since. United had a fall off, but it wasn't like a an insane fall off, and that's what I'm kind of. That's what I think Liverpool were in um, danger. Yeah, of I doing. think uh, Liverpool's version of what United did in 2013 would be hiring Ralph Ragnick after Klopp leaves or something Thomas like Frank. that, <laughs> or Thomas Frank. <laughs> you know, just a, like a very weird, uh, watered down version of direct football. Mm. That somehow in spirit is a successor to Klopp, but it just doesn't help in any mm. way. I mean, that's what I'm very was. much. I'm, I'm very much. I think it would be really ludicrous to like when asked who would you appoint successor to Klopp, quite quickly come out of an answer someone like Thomas Frank. I think that would be as a third pick. Yeah, I think that would be really <laughs> crazy, um, especially <laughs> after thinking about it at a deeper level. Um, I wouldn't take that person seriously at all when they talk about football. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Oh, are we talk uh, about successes next? Well, hold on, hold on. Um, we'll keep that for the end. Yeah, yeah we, we will save that. But um, yeah, what was I? Yes, um, I think one thing that is also worth mentioning uh, in the midst of all this, um, of course, we've talked about tactics and all that. But as you alluded to, Varun, 
I think Klopp also deserves a lot of credit for just the environment that he's been able to foster around Liverpool. Both obviously in terms of just the club as a whole, you know, getting the supporters rallying behind the squad and his playing style and everything. But even within the squad, you know, managing, especially this season, as you said, it's been a lot of rotation. But you've never ever really heard of any even murmurs of dissatisfaction um, from any of the Liverpool Liverpool players. I think the only Example that comes to my mind is Jordan Henderson leaving because he didn't get enough game time. But, you know, even that was very sort of amicably managed. Like, you know, club was upfront about, you know, this is how much game time you're going to get. Now, you you, you take a call. So, I think he's he's just managed the squad throughout his time really, really well. Um, He's also done a fantastic job of, especially in moments where the team have suffered from injuries, like they are sort of playing right now. He's done a fantastic job of introducing youngsters from the academy, and again, th- that helps again with squad morale and especially with like the sort of the passion and the intensity that we speak about to implement his playing style. So even all the sort of off-pitch stuff, uh, he's done a fantastic job of. And yeah, as you say, I think you know succeeding him like for like is basically an impossible job. Um, but before we get into successes, I think one big reason. Um, why that is the case, which we need to address, is their recruitment. Um, and mainly the fact that it has not been very good uh, of late, their squad building and their recruitment. So, obviously, there was a lot of talk around this when Michael Edwards left. Um, and I think, actually, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I may be reading too much into this, but one of the things Klopp said in his his, his interview, uh, the, the last one, was that, he had to do some things at the club which he didn't want to do. Um, but he had to do them for the club. Um, and obviously, I don't know what he means by that. But one potential reading of that could be the fact that he has had to take, or again, reportedly, he has had to take more responsibility in terms of recruitment um, after basically Edwards left. He's had more influence and more decision-making power and I don't think that's necessarily been a good thing because, eh, I mean, you look at their track record recently. They haven't re- signed bad players, really, but they just haven't prioritized the right profiles and the right parts of the squad um, th- that you would need to. So I-, I think Warren has something to add. So feel free to drop in. Yeah, I mean, I think the way they've been running in the past year, it's been established that Schmatke was the one who was in charge of negotiations only. He himself clarified his role. And it's Klopp who's setting the targets along with the scouts and analysts who feed him the reports. So definitely, it's, that's very close to what Tenag is doing at United or what probably most United managers have done. And basically, that's to say it's not a good thing. I mean, it's not a good thing. What United have done for 10 years is a bad thing. And what Liverpool have done for probably one and a half years is not a good thing as well. And as you said, I mean, the signings are good. The players are good. You can clearly see these are well scouted. It's just that there's a fitment angle to them. There's a positional fitment angle to them that is a bit missing. None of the signings are defensive midfielders. They've literally bought four or five players in the last two summers who are midfielders, but none are defensive midfielders. That is crazy. Like Sobazlai, McAllister, Gravenberch, Endo, and Fabio Carvalho. Five midfield Arthur Mello also on a loan. That's like six midfielders in the last two windows. 
none of whom can play a proper holding midfielder you know uh, so that is really odd then even in attack i mean sure nunez gakpo everyone's doing well they're all left leaning attackers though i mean in diaz nunez and gakpo you have three players who like playing a little to the left and these are the kind of things that look a little odd even in defense i would say they don't have a left sided defender robertson is running on they don't have a left sided center back so there are lots of times when especially if this new formation with the back three is to continue they do need some left sided defender you know whether the new manager plays a back three or a back four they probably need someone there as well so there are gaps and these gaps have been increasing now we we at least know of three gaps and you never know if salah leaves in the coming summer that's a fourth gap so these kind of things will start happening and this is what runs you know clubs into trouble this is what united have struggled for 10 years this is what barcelona have been struggling for so many years uh, this is how badly run clubs don't get back to the top you know when there are recruitment gaps and you don't plug them and then those gaps keep increasing and then every year it's a ov3 oh, three, three signings away from you know a title winning team and then you're stuck in a never ending cycle so <laughs> i mean i'm not saying that's what will happen but yeah if liverpool don't fix a lot of things that are currently issues at the club there is the danger of that happening yeah absolutely and and that's why i think the first thing they need to do right now is not to look for managers which is reportedly what their sort of analysis team is doing the first thing they need to do is get a good sporting director in uh because you know the the thing you said about like at the start of the episode the thing you said about you know the manager having like a philosophy which people buy into but i think a good part of that also goes to the sporting director because especially now in many clubs it's the sporting director who sort of guides the the overall philosophy and vision and whatever you call it and often managers are signed as a product of that and may even be a rotating cast especially for like you know smaller so to speak clubs like non top clubs who can lose their manager to a bigger club at any time that's the way it's done and yeah i mean you know as as we say it's not a head coach's job to be in charge of recruitment so you can't really look at a head coach and say oh yeah they're good at recruitment because that's basically out of their remit uh, so you can't sign any any successor on the basis of their recruitment track record um and and yeah so that's why i think their priority actually has to be get a sporting director in see what they want to do obviously get one who again fits with you know the the club's vision and style and everything see what they want to do and then you know on that guidance think about your and the next manager and anything to add to that guys before we move uh, on to our successors yeah i mean uh, just to confirm with Jurgen Klopp he obviously loses Pep Linders as assistant manager the other assistant manager Schmatke also resigns uh, Vitor Matos was their elite development coach who came under Klopp basically he's like the head of the academy or the bridge between the academy and the first team to know which academy boys can br- bridge it you know and how to develop them so that they're ready so that's a lot of lot of staff that is leaving with klop almost the whole structure at the top is empty not only a director of football but probably an academy head probably a technical director you usually have two such roles at the top now a director of football and a technical director you know like edwards and 
ward or it was in graham you know so they probably need two or three people there at the top and then a manager and his coaching staff so that's at least six seven staff members to be filled and yeah as you said probably a director of football first might be sensible or at least if they have an agreement with the manager get a pre agreement that this manager will work with this director you know come summer and hope you're all on board with that those things will be key you know you don't want to get into a situation where you hire a manager and he doesn't align with the director of football or you hire a manager and they have a lot of power and then a director of football is just a, a yes man or you know someone who doesn't have actual authority so lot of sticky tricky situations to run into if these things don't happen correctly yeah and i, I think yeah, what you guys were saying before about liverpool probably dropping off is basically that like you, you feel that i mean there, there isn't anything to indicate that these things are happening um so yeah i mean you definitely do worry that it's possible but uh, yeah i guess let's dive into our um suggestions for their successors now who wants to go first i think alex has the people's first choice pick yes alex. chabi alonso go on uh, elaborate so, well the obvious is a former liverpool player um managed by Leverkusen to a potential Bundesliga title at the moment. A um, lot of hype around him, a lot of praise this season. Uh, but I actually wanted to explain why I think he'd be good for Liverpool. Uh, I want to go back to last season. Uh, when he arrived at Bayer Leverkusen, they were, I think, in the bottom three under Gerardo Soane. And then he, he took them uh, flying up the table. I think they were like the third best side in the league based exclusively in like in his time there um it, based off when he started working for them and while this season uh, i think they've been a lot more like a bit more patient in possession um teams are sitting back more often against them and he's got players very good at like breaking the lines of the passes and into little gaps uh, little little pockets space for, like players like victor Boniface to pick up the ball in last season uh, Leverkusen, depending on the game you watched them, looked like a very different side. So, like for example, I remember one game. I think it was against Borussia Mönchengladbach. I want to say uh, where like it was like one half they were pressing very high, very dominant, and the second half they just sat back, soaked up all the pressure, and just started launching counter attacks uh, along the ground that were very fluid and very quick. On in his time there, I think we've seen a varying different style of football. Um, I think we see the adaptability that we've spoken about with Klopp, obviously not to the same standard, and he is a very young manager. But this isn't just a case of a guy coming in to an established setup, and you know, like a Napoli, for example, where like some people suggested Spalletti, where I think it's quite common knowledge now that Spalletti has thrived at Napoli, helped by what came before um, to an extent. Uh, Chabi Alonso immediately imprinted his hallmarks on by Leverkusen. It's played in very different ways, and yes, helped by recruitment. But as a manager, he's been like full marks. He's been fantastic, and uh, so to, to the concerns that they, they, this really addresses concerns people have, where you know he's patient, more patient style of football, less direct, doesn't suit Liverpool. Uh, I think. Chabi Alonso can come in and find solutions to the problems uh, his personnel provide. The, the personnel Liverpool have, 
uh, give him. And maybe he is going to a back three, or which is what he has done pretty much his whole time at Leverkusen, even though it kind of shifts into a back four anyway. Maybe he'll go to a back four and do something different. I don't know, but I back Chabi Alonso to find a solution to figure it out. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. I, you know, I mean, obviously, I think Alonso is the obvious first choice pick, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. The only question I have with him is with respect to um, the the other issues we talked about at Liverpool, which is the fact that you know the recruitment and all that may not like basically the behind the scenes structure may not be ideal because one of the things I think that has really helped him at Bayer Leverkusen over the summer and I don't know how much of that is down to him how much of that is down to the club obviously very hard to tell from the outside but their transfer business was absolutely spot on Mm -hmm. not just in terms of the players they signed but also in terms of the areas of the squad they filled especially like Alejandro Grimaldo the the upgrade they got just individually from him at left wing wing back is one of the things that almost single-handedly takes that team to another level don't um, agree, agree. And I, I, I would counter by saying last season they didn't have this great recruitment. They had Adam Horzek, who was kind of misfiring, uh, as was Patrick Schick, who completely fallen off. They didn't really have a proper striker. Uh, I'd say they didn't have a consistent left winger either. I think Pierre Hincapi, uh I think was good at the World Cup, but in the league still a little inconsistent. And it's not a left think, wing back, basically. Him and what yeah. Michel Bakker, they're not left wing backs, basically. Uh, even as left centre back, question's over. Kosunu, I think that was his first or second season at Leverkusen. Like, Chabi Loz has taken him to another level, uh, as has Ezekiel Palacios. I think last season, this goes back to it, I don't think he had the, the stellar recruitment to work with, yet he's still got really good results out of the team. Um, which, so I, I think. The group doesn't have to be perfect every season with a Chabi Alonso team to finish in at least in the top four. Yeah, I think so. I, so I think he he obviously he he got very good results. But my main concern, I mean, it's not exactly a concern, but my main question, so to speak, is the way he did that. So the thing about Klopp is that he has been willing to change almost everything about the way the team plays on the pitch in order to suit the squad, right? Whereas Alonso, even last season, he played almost this exact same way, minus a couple of very minor tweaks, um, you know, to adjust for like different profiles, like Grimaldo coming in as a proper left wing back, that sort of stuff. But other than that, he's the the, the system on the pitch has not. And to be honest with you, I I don't know if I can hold this against Alonso because we haven't seen him in this situation. I to be entirely honest, I don't remember a lot of his time uh, at Real Sociedad's second team. And even when he was there, if I remember correctly, most of that time was actually when they were in the in the Segunda División, which is really a level above where they should be. Um, because you look at okay. all, all the La Liga t- teams, all of their B teams are at most in the third tier. Um, so it's so essentially he wasn't managing a, you know, a top-level club in that league. So it's very hard to say there. Okay, and I at have Leverkusen, a, I've, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, at, at Leverkusen, he has only had like one and a half year where he hasn't need, he hasn't been in a situation where what he's doing is not working and maybe he needs to change. So to be honest, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he might be someone who is willing to be, you know, flexible like Klopp has been. 
But, okay, uh, so I've I've got go four points. Okay, wow. Uh, <laughs> four, four points. Uh, number one, I agree, it's not the biggest time frame. Um, so like that is that is a point you've got to consider. Uh, number two, I can't believe you don't remember Rouse or CLS B team. Everyone remembers that. Holy hell! Can't believe you, <laughs> uh, you of all people. Um, three, uh, I disagree with you on is the exact same system. I actually disagree quite strongly. I think yes, it is still free for free to an extent, but last season he was dealing with proper wingers in his front three, and Musa Diaby and like Amin Adley at times on the left. Then Florian Verts came back from injury, and the big question was how do you fit Verts into this system, um, and like how do you make that work as like a floating ten? This season we've seen Hoffman and Verts both more floating tens, and now he's and now he's using two wing backs to provide the width. Yes, it's still like the same template, but I think that is quite a significant change of with from how the team was playing. So I think that is an example of how he can make that. Like, I think yes, it's the same yeah, template. The, 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 but I, changes, I, I do. Like, like, I think it's I, more I totally than minor tweaks. Okay, fair. But but my point basically, yeah. And to be well, to be quite clear, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the way he's he's done those things. And I think he's even even now, like when he's adapting with injuries and absences, with like you know Afcon and all, all the other injuries they have. I think he's done a very very good job of making those whatever you call them tweaks, adjustment changes to suit his players. But basically, the the, the point I'm making is that he is. He's he's never, ha- and I don't think this is really something you can hold against him because he's not been in this situation, but he's never really sort of uh, torn up a template, right? Which is what Klopp has had to do a, 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 to a very large extent in the last season, basically. So well, yeah, fair. I think this kind of goes on to point four, which is that you're talking a lot for a person who you know exactly what I'm going to say when it goes to your turn to say who I think should uh, <laughs> succeed, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, uh, we, we, we'll we'll get out of that. But uh, yeah, I think th- I guess the takeaway is Alonso seems quite clearly the number one um, pick. Also, on- just on Alonso. I I lean more towards Alex's uh, arguments here because even in Sociedad, if I remember correctly, it's not like I saw them, but I, re- I read about them. He does remember. <laughs> they played 4-2-3-1. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. 3-4-3, the, the system he kind of has now with two narrow wingers, 3-4-3 with very wide wingers, and then a 3-4-1-2 as well with two strikers. So he played all of those systems in Sociedad. And there was actually a lot of excitement when Leverkusen was signing him of which system he'll play. And as you guys Mm. rightly covered, the system change from last year to this year also is visible. So I don't, I mean, all of us have very less to go on. We just have a B team stint and what, one, one, one and a half years of a senior career stint. So we don't have much to go on. But probably, I mean, you would assume given how he's, you know, dabbled in a few systems, and even in that, um, again, from what I've read, the Sociedad B was very, very control-based. It was almost like, you know, a typical Spanish team or a Barcelona-esque team. And here he's embraced a bit more width, a bit more counter-pressing, a bit more, uh, especially in the attacking phase, transition into space. So I do feel there are those subtle changes where depending on the league, depending on the team, the players he has, he is able to uh, adapt. So I wouldn't put it uh, beyond him. I don't think 
that is um, a super big argument uh, against him right now probably his lack of experience is but i think tactically he's shown enough flexibility to suggest he he might uh, adjust or at least he'll think in in that direction instead of just coming and putting a template and struggling yeah yeah that's fair that's fair and yeah i mean t- like again to be honest i definitely think he is the number one option on the market i think he's a very very good option as well i, I I mean I am sort of making a devil's advocate type argument here to just see how much of a you know exact best fit he can be but yeah I think without a doubt he is the best fit on, on available or basically out there right now so I think he has to be the number one pick um for everyone but let's get on to some other options now Varun you have an interesting shout why yeah, you so when when this came up my first thought was jabi alonso as well like everyone and after analyzing it uh, to paraphrase alex's tiktok videos i think jabi alonso to liverpool is 8 out of 10 uh, but <laughs> i do think there is a 9 out of 10 option there Ooh, wow. as well yeah um because having thought about it if they can entice julian nagelsman from the germany job after the euros are done because i think his contract his is his contract up. is yeah it yeah. runs out then it runs out then i mean a klopp nagelsmann swap would actually be great but then klopp has said he won't manage even national for a year um but yeah if liverpool can entice nagelsmann in the summer i think that would be their 9 out of 10 signing i just pip him over alonso for two reasons one is there is a bit of stylistic change with alonso all said and done leverkusen have the most passes per 90 in the top 5 leagues their style graph you know the speed of play versus the passes attempted you know that style graph they come in the slow and intricate corner alongside teams like manchester city and liverpool especially this year i mean liverpool were decently somewhere around there in maybe 2 years ago but especially this year they are in the opposite extreme of fast and direct so again not saying that can't be bridged as we just discussed jabi alonso can marry both and he can uh, the the players also probably can adapt but i think there will there is a gap all said and done there is a bit of you know two ends have to meet yeah it's basically what i was trying to say yeah with nagelsman i think the gap is smaller you are going to um, a template closer to klopp um, much faster the the requirement for the whole squad to adjust for various different profiles to come in is a little lesser i think i think with two or three fixes two or three players which are probably the same for almost any manager the ones we talk about defensive midfield a left sided defender and maybe another attacker if salah leaves so probably with these two or three fixes you can uh, start getting results with someone like nagelsman second he has a bit more top team experience like some of the doubts we just uh, had with alonso i mean we all think alonso is going to be great and amazing but you know you never know there's always a yeah but we've only seen him for a very short while we've seen nagelsman a bit more i personally thought his bayern stint up until they sacked him was pretty good and he was sacked for all the rubbish reasons i mean it made no sense they were doing pretty well they were live in all competitions and he had no business to get sacked and that was just the board being political because they wanted to chill whom they didn't want to miss out on again 
so I, I think Nagelsmann's very well suited to the squad. I can see his 3-1-6 direct play kind of formation be taken up. Like what Liverpool play right now is literally that, you know. Uh, Klopp's um, recent dabbles with, you know, the back three and Trent inverting and almost a front six attacking with especially three or four very, very direct attackers who can uh, who can be fed in the final third directly. A lot of that goes in line with how Nagelsmann uh, views the game, his philosophy. So, yeah, that is my uh, choice. I think Jabi Alonso is my second choice, but just by a small margin, I think Nagelsmann is a better choice. That's a very interesting shout. Um, Alex, do you have any defense for Alonso? Uh, or shall we head on? No, uh, and I actually think more of thought about you, Ian Nagelsmann. Um, Lean to Farron. I think Nogsman makes oh. a good a good sense as well. When I first heard it, it was like, eh, they're not sure. But um, yeah, I can see it. I also think, I definitely think Klopp will be off to Germany. I think that's <laughs> nailed on. Uh, right, yeah. uh, well, Neil, I think we should introduce you. <laughs> hold on, Farron, no, no, you want, no. one thing. Hold on, hold on. No, no, one no, thing on, I, I wanted to point one thing out about Nagelsmann, um, which is I, I totally agree with what you said and sort of stylistically, tactically, blah, blah, blah. He seems as you say, like just a bit better of a fit than Alonso. But I would still have Alonso as my first pick because of some of the sort of intangible off-pitch reasons. Because as we said, with Klopp, there was a lot of that involved as well. And, you know, by all accounts, Nagelsmann, that's not exactly Nagelsmann's forte. Whereas with Alonso, you have the ex-player card and all, all, all of that attached to it, which I think will make it a touch easier for him on that front. Because... You know, a big part of replacing a basically a legendary figure like Klopp is is just getting the the buy-in from everyone, the players, the the club, like the the employees of the club, but also the fans. And you need to have that character and charisma and all that to be able to do that because it's it's a really really difficult job to just do that. Forget about the tactics and all that. And so for that reason, I would lean to Alonso over Nagelsmann, but. Yeah, I, I guess both of them would be decent picks. Alex, now feel free to introduce our, our third pick. Uh, yeah, as so you wish. <laughs> we've got two for, for, for picks. Varun, you weren't we ready for this. One. No, we have two. Um, right. <laughs> so before we start recording, uh, Neil, Neil saw in our pod plan that I'd written down Chabi Alonso. And he went, oh, God, Chabi Alonso. I was going to pick him. Uh, Nuggles in there as well. Who's my third pick? And he had, he had some deep thought for about maybe five seconds and then <laughs> and then he said the name thomas frank of brentford and i had to beg him for about 20 minutes to think of another manager i was going through all these different ones saying no no and eventually he said graham potter and he said and he went oh yes of course graham potter but i'm curious for for both um especially how much flack he's given both our choices around um i I'm very curious to hear the logic uh, for the for these picks. Uh, I think I you need can to start... hear those those intrinsic yeah. thoughts. Uh, I need to hear them. Can <laughs> yeah, you hear Thomas I, Frank I, first? I, 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 I'll give you the 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 whole process, right? So I saw that I was like, "Damn, both of my picks are taken." So then I I I thought for five seconds, as Alex said, I couldn't think of a name. So then I googled an article to see like who Liverpool are being linked to. First time I saw Roberto that Zerbi, uh, I said no. 
because that Zerbe is very much someone who needs the structure around him, and I'm not convinced Liverpool have that. So I think that's a risk. Uh, don't do, that. and especially right now they don't even have a, one defensive midfielder, so not a good idea. Um, and then I saw, I forgot who I saw. I think in Simone Inzaghi was in there, who's who's a decent pick, but I just don't think he'll leave in there. Um, and then I saw Unai Emery, um, who we've discussed previously on the pod at Aston Villa. He's doing very well, but he has not rectified the issues he faced at Arsenal. And so I don't think, I think they'll reappear if he goes to Liverpool. Uh, so, I mean, the reasoning is all in that episode. And I think you guys agree. So that's out of the way. And then I saw Thomas Frank. And mind you, I had seen someone on Twitter say Thomas Frank a few days ago. And I was like, interesting. And then I thought about it for five seconds, as Alex said. And here's what I thought. I thought, all right, Thomas Frank, what does he do? He's quite, he's very adaptable. Uh, so all the stuff I was talking about with Alonso, he has all of that. Um, his, especially his defensive uh, coaching, his out of possession, basically tactics are especially very good, which is which is obviously an important aspect of Klopp's play. Uh, in possession, I to be completely transparent with you, by the way, I have not watched a lot of Brentford this season. Uh, I can see they're not doing very well uh, when you look at the form and you know their league table position. But if you look at his his time at Brentford as a whole. You have to call it a success. Um, so, in possession, uh, that's the question mark. And that's why he's not anywhere near my top two picks. Uh, but I think he, he, I mean, he can put something in place to do something. I think uh, it's my analogy that won you over in the end, wasn't it? Comparing him to Emery. The, 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 <laughs> okay. Shall I repeat the analogy? Sure, go on. So, Varun, I said, I, I, I said, what about Uno Emery? And he said, uh, well, I, I said, Thomas Frank, he's not going to be good in possession. Like, he's not, like, Brentford is, uh, yes, their PVDA is high, but generally they sit deep against teams that are better than them, which is most, like more than 10 teams in the Premier League, usually. And uh, Neil said, no, 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 no. Like, it, it, you know, he's adaptable, we don't know. And I said, okay, what about Unai Emery? And he said, no, 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 because we've seen what he happened at Arsenal and PSG, like, we know what happened. And I said that it's like, uh, you've seen Unai Emery cycle off a cliff before. Like Unai Emery, and you see him again, and he's like all padded up. He looks really athletic. He's in shape. He's running his bike. But you're like, no, no, no. I've seen him cycle off this cliff before, so I'm not going to trust him. And then Thomas Frank comes along, and he's like missing a leg. He's like <laughs> wheels quite wobbly. Like he's, he's you know, he's, he's got blind as well. But Neil's like, you know, I've never seen him cycle off this cliff. So we don't actually, like, you know, there's no precedent. We don't know if he will cycle off this cliff. And I think that was the point. Neil went, okay. Who else is there? No, but but I, <laughs> to be very to be very honest, I think Emery is is a much better choice than <laughs> Thomas Frank. <laughs> I just want to put it out there so that you know people know. I mean, no, no disrespect to Thomas Frank. I think he's doing an absolutely great job at Brentford. Yes. I, I really think Emery deserves another shot at a top club. Um, not Liverpool though. But then it's at least a better shout than Frank, Thomas Frank. Yeah, but anyway, then I was reminded of the existence of Graham Potter, um, who again would be quite. By the way, you need, yeah, some more justification is required on Potter as well. So yeah, I'm just going to be silent for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm providing that now. Again, look, he's, he's not. I mean, he's very much my third pick because you guys took my first two picks. Um, it's. Again, the thing with Potter mainly, the number one thing is adaptability. That's sort of the, his hallmark. 
at Brighton. Obviously, there's a big concern of his 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 Chelsea sort of stint, and now we put all, if not most, of that down to the fact that that club was an absolute mess at the time. But the thing is, Liverpool. I mean, obviously, it won't be that level of a mess. But at the moment, it is looking quite possible that there will be some degree of a mess going on there. And how well Potter can deal with that is is a question. So I I, I completely take that. But yeah, I think main main thing is obviously he has experience in the league, uh, and he's a very adaptable manager, which is the need of the hour it would seem at the moment. So that's why he would I guess he would be my third pick. But but like to be honest with you, when you look at Liverpool's options, there's like Alonso and Nagelsmann are tier one, and then there almost isn't a tier two like. The the drop off after Alonso and Nagelsmann is really big, and that's why you know I even entertain a thought like Thomas Frank, um, and that's why I'd say Graham Potter. But yeah, I mean I wouldn't go for him, like you know up. what would be another crazy shout? Like I don't think it'll happen, but Eddie Howe would be mm, Alex a good said fit. This. Oh, I said Eddie Howe as well. They'll shut that down. Nah, I I just I don't think so because Howe is. As we discussed in our Newcastle episode, how is he? I mean, he's done a great job, but it's it's all mostly been built on like crazy intense pressing. But like when he he has to control games, when like teams sit deep against him, let him have the ball, and maybe even go long from the back and that sort of stuff. Like his basically the way his teams break down low blocks does not convince me at all. Um, and he's gonna you need someone who can do that at Liverpool. So but Thomas why. Frank convinced you. The Thomas Frank. No. <laughs> uh, Thomas, the rest of Thomas Frank was convincing enough. And I said, I, I, what the hell? I mean, give him a shot, you know. But again. <laughs> I really do enjoy how you argue for Graham See, Potter. Okay. Is, he's not Thomas Frank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's give Neil some credit. At least he didn't say Steven Gerrard, you know. So <laughs> You never know. That was probably like option four. I always see Faki's been doing this, this, and this, and I really think this could apply to Liverpool. Unironically, I have been watching Alatifak, and I can confirm that Steven Gerrard should not be even remotely considered as an option. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and uh, th- that would that would be look. And the thing about it is, it's not impossible. You know, they because of the fact that they don't have. I mean, as as you said, their whole football decision-making structure is basically going. And so, who 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 makes this? If they don't get a sporting di- director, who makes the decision for the next manager? Probably the owners. Mm. Um, how much do the yeah, owners? I mean, as know? a as a United fan, if they hire Steven Gerrard, I'll be very happy. <laughs> yeah, and you, but you I, guys know there's that thing, right? That Liverpool and United are never successful together. Yeah, like yeah. From the, from the 1930s. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, so I mean, if, the problem this, here. <laughs> if this is the switch, I I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 that's the thing. I I don't think it's impossible because the 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 owners could very easily be tempted down the you know ex-player legend route, and they might go for him. No, I, I I don't think they will. I, I think um from what I've read, they've, they've, be a they've been analyzing can they've been analyzing candidates with data since November. So I, think, I don't think Gerard's even in the conversation. I think a lot of outlets are saying 
Deserby is also in in the running. What yeah, do you guys yeah. think about that? I mean, obviously he's not in any of our top three picks, but why isn't he in any of our top three picks? But he's rumored. I, uh, to keep it short, I kind of agree with Neil's general point of like. I, I think he needs to be within a, an established structure for him to do well, and I don't think I, don't, I know the point of we brought up the point. Liverpool squad is a bit of a mishmash. I think this it really doesn't suit Deserby at the moment. Yeah, yes, and I also think good. tactically, he he comes in the same bracket of Unai Emery uh, for me as well. Mm. They, they they still need those one or two things to be a title winning manager, and in Deserby's case also. Against low blocks, they struggle yeah. a bit. Against certain teams, and uh, and then there's the whole competing on three fronts with a big squad. Um, how will his automations run that way? I mean, this year when they've had extra European commitments, they've struggled a bit more. So I think that Dzerbi needs a. F- he he looks like he's a few cycles away from a job like you know a Liverpool. He needs to sort out a bit more tactically. He needs to sort out a bit more squad management-wise as well. So, I mean, I guess that would be my my take on it. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Yeah, I I think basically what Alex and you said there is essentially why he, yeah, maybe like in a different world where Liverpool have a more like I I take the points you made, Warren, about him having some weaknesses, but or question marks. But the the main thing again for me is what Alex said about. The lack of structure, like in a different world where Liverpool are a bit more sort of sorted out on that front, I think going for Dead Zerbi makes a lot more sense. But right now, it yeah. like from all angles, there's quite red flags everywhere. So even though he's a very good manager, he's just not the right person for Liverpool. Um, right? Any other names for you guys? Uh, any any other thoughts, ideas? No, I've had my fill with Thomas Frank and Graham Potter <laughs> itself, so I'm good. <laughs> Uh, you know what next look I was kind because obviously I like made the the outline and then I let you guys take the first two picks but next time I'll make sure okay, one you of go you first next put, time yeah next time I'll make sure one of you is put in this difficult position um, which which I have had to endure but uh, anyway thank you very much uh, guys for, for joining me on this one of course a big thanks to our listeners as well you can find all of us uh, on twitter I'm at Sherat Neil, Varun runs the at the Devil's DNA account, and Alex is at EuroExpert underscore. And if you go to the at uh, Get Football EU account, um, you will find in the bio the links to all our league and country specific um, uh, outlets. So if you go to those, you'll be very much updated with all that's going on in the world of football right now between the, the end of the transfer window. All this madness in terms of managers leaving at Liverpool, Barcelona and who knows where else. And of course, uh, Asian Cup and AFCON going on as well. So uh, we, we have all of that linked down below in, in our description uh, or notes of this show, depending on where you're listening. So you can find all that down there. Um, if your app allows it, please do rate the podcast as well if you enjoyed it. And feel free to share it as well. But thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to you guys, Alex and Varun, for joining me. And we'll be back with another one next week. Take care until then and bye-bye.